Inside the Parisi Palace, high above 3733's Broadway, this is the Jake Feinberg Show. Coming to you live on Power Talk. Please go to our website, powertalk.live. Download our free app and stream all of our live local programming, including Solomon on Blast, the Jim Parisi Show, and yours truly, the Jake Feinberg Show. We can't thank you enough for making us part of your day today, and as my evolution as a journalist continues... I've been pounding the pavement and talking to cats for about six years now, and all of a sudden, I have been spiritually spiritually guided towards the Mardi Gras Indians of the New Orleans region, which in, ver- in many ways could be considered the last bastion of true regional American music in this country now, in a time of full interconnection. And I get a chance to talk to a legendary cat who's carrying on the lineage from his father, a singer, a poet, and uh, most importantly, a spiritual person who understands that his people have never truly been in full control of their own history. And he's doing what he can do to make sure that the record is set straight. Bo Dallas Jr., welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, nice, to, nice to hang, man. You know, um, I want you to talk a little bit about this philosophy. I spoke with Juan Pardo last week. And and uh, and I want you to follow up on this idea mm-hmm. that you guys and your fa- I want you to talk about it specifically from your father's point of view about how that you that your people have never had control of your own history and what your dad did and what his what the Magnolias did and what the Mardi Gras in, have Indians continue to do in order to enlighten and educate people to what the truth and what the history really is? Well, uh, you, you have to follow your own path, first of all. You know, you have to make your own history. Um, and as far as Mardi Gras Indians, you know, at, a long time ago, people were scared to come see Mardi Gras Indians just because they, of the violence that they had back back then. So people like my dad, uh, you know, not just him. I'm not going to say it was just him. It was a bunch of guys back then that wanted Indians just to be more out there, uh, not for the violence, not for the, the troublemaking. So they got together, and a lot of these guys was already friends. You know, it was, didn't matter where they was from, uptown, downtown, across the river, uh, mid-city. A lot of these guys was true friends with each other during the year. So I'm not about to, they was not about to sit up there and want to fight each other and have all this trouble with each other and stuff like that. So... Uh, at the at the whole time, you know, we got together and they started making these elaborate suits. So they started fighting with these suits, not with each other. So just to see whose suits was better and bigger and prettier. Can you talk? This is fascinating because you look at the at a lot of the the neighborhoods in Chicago now. Uh, I mean. You know the the people are killing each other in gang fights and things like that. And I, I mm-hmm. can you talk about um, how your dad basically tried to say, "Keep your eyes on the prize here. Let's not go after each each other. Let's promote who we are." I mean, can you talk about a story from when you were younger and you experienced? Well, your- I could, I could, I could, I could imagine that. Like I've with my dad, I've experienced that so many times. Uh, and that's with him not even being in an Indian suit. Right. You know, I remember one time we, in this little neighborhood that I grew up in, it was an uptown area called Second and Drive. They had two guys, like, really beating the daylight out of each other. I don't know if they knew each other. I don't know what the scenario was. So uh, they they was literally beating the daylight out of each other. And he got out the vehicle that me and my mom and he was in, and he stopped them. So me being a kid, I'm scared because I'm like, wait, my dad about to start fighting. You know? <laughs> right. Wow. Maybe, I, maybe wow. I need to yeah. go kick somebody's ankle, you know what I'm saying, because I'm little. So maybe I could go kick somebody's ankle and, you know, because they start jumping my dad. I'm going to kick the ankle or something. But uh, he got out and they 
I guess, with the respect they had for him, and they stopped, you know, and they went inside. And I, they had a bar across the street. I'll never forget. And the guys went in and bought a drink and everything, you know, and that's just the way I was raised. If you ever look at my Indian suits, I don't never put Indians fighting on my Indian suit because I think, like, now they have too much violence going on now in the, in the world just to just to be beating it. And, you know, I'm trying to show beauty into Mardi Gras, not the violence into Mardi Gras. And, like, right now, I'm right. putting together a Stop the Violence concert for kids. and Well, I'm going to say just for kids, but just for grown-ups, period. And my idea is, for, you know, in New Orleans, I don't know if y'all have it out there, we have these little things called pop-ups. And it's like a cutout of people, uh, you know, their pictures or something like that, of their full body and stuff. Sure. So, and I want them to bring the, the pop-ups to the concert. And I have them placed all the way around the concert of people that died of violence, or nonsense of of crime, drive-bys and stuff like that. Um, you know, uh, this is fast. This is really fascinating stuff. I mean, when you do, you have um, what kind of bloodline do you have? I mean, what what was fascinating, and what I really the most important thing on my trip is just to for people to understand that there were Africans in the Americas before slavery. Okay, mm -hmm. they were here, mm -hmm. and Native Americans were here, and 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 Pardo right. Pardo broke this thing down for me, where it was like, yes, obviously the African population grew in size once the slave trade was in full effect, but there were Africans here before, and they had already developed a trust with the Native Americans and actually crossed. Right. Okay, and so where did where did your pops and where did can you like where did the wild magnolias were they all? Well, my dad was Creole. My dad was Creole. Okay. Uh, or he has Creole bloodline on his side. Now on my mom's side, I do have Indian on my mom's side. You my do. great great grandmother was an Indian. Um, so I'm kind of mixed with both sides, you know. And just like the reason why we're doing this is because the Africans ran to the Indians when they was running away from the, the masters. So, but the masters could not go on Indians' territory. Why? Because they, that would have started a big old fight and war. They didn't want that. So the Indians and the Africans became more friends and sharing more more tricks of the trade, I can see. You know, because, uh, you know, Africans had their own spiritual dance and Indians had their own spiritual dance. And if you know anything about dancing, Africans dance flat-footed. They dance like they, they foot is flat to the ground. <laughs> now, Indians, they dance on their toes. Right. So even even with second lining, second lining didn't come from New Orleans. Second lining came from Africa, with the umbrellas and everything else. So everything we do, we just pay, paying homage to our ancestors. If it's from the African Africans or if it's from the Indians. Can you talk about the stories that uh, your mom would talk? I mean, I talked to Paul Boudreaux, and he he told me the same kind of story where you'd have these slave masters. Uh, slaves would run away. Safe Haven was at the Na Native Americans uh, mm -hmm. places of, where they lived so that there would be camaraderie. And actually what Paul said was that his cousin actually wound up bringing back a lot of rhythm instruments like tambourines and things like that from the natives. Right. I mean, can you talk about how the, how the two, how the communities came together and that call and response between the, the diaspora? Well, you were just talking about the dance rhythms, but it's the diaspora from Africa versus the Native American call and response and how that factored in. To be honest, which is, is, is really no difference. Because if you ever listen to it, uh, just like with Indians now, we have a certain language we speak that the outsiders don't know about. So there's really no difference because if there was on, a, let's say the Africans were on, on a cotton field and he was planning on... Um, making a run at a certain time. So they'll start singing a certain song to let everybody know, okay, y'all get ready because when the masses go inside, we're going to make a run for it. Now, the same thing with the Indians. Once the Native Americans went to the Indians, they started sharing these different uh, songs and these different rhythms. And with Indians, they use more of a rhythm than their uh, call and response. Because they, they was more of a drumming type. Exactly. So when, when they got together, the, the African Americans put the, the singing with their rhythm, and that's how that's how we come together now 
with the drums and the tamarines and the call and response. We just mixed both of them together and we came up with what we got to do. Talking to Bo Dallas Jr. here on the Jake Feinberg Show, it's such an honor to have him. Can you talk about younger peeps that you try to, I mean, are the younger cats interested in making their own suits? And do they understand like the fine motor and the patience and the meditation? Well, I can't, I can't talk for other young Indians, but uh, I know a few that's outside of my my tribe that that's all into it. You know, uh, my tribe did like all my Indians is like they want to know the history, they want to know the language, they want to know how to put this together, how to put that together. So, um, so when they can do it on their own, they don't need my help. So I have a lot of Indians. I'm, I have like 15 Indians under me. So, and all of them are sewing. Like I have one on side of me now, he's sewing. Then I have one on the way, he he's about to start sewing. So all that to be said, um, the younger Indians is very much into it these days, just like back then. And I think we're getting more younger Indians into it. And the reason why I get them into it because uh, New Orleans crime rate is very high. You know, I don't really get the news no more because that's what it's going to be on there. So, and I've had a little kid, he was on a, the wrong road, uh, getting in trouble in school, getting in trouble in the streets, had a parole officer and all this other stuff. It started matching in there. We never had no problem with him. He making straight A's in school now. He's in the Navy Reserve. Um, wow. So he's doing positive things. And I'm not saying it's just because of Indians, but he had a lot of positive people around him just to keep him on that, that straight and narrow. You know that the, the the smoking was the right thing, and this was going to happen to you, and and so far so on. So and with the Wyoming noise, we do a lot of community stuff. We do the feeding the homeless. We go to uh, schools and stuff like that. So he started seeing the homeless thing and seeing what you will wind up being. And every day he goes he goes to school, uh, comes home, he starts sewing. He send me a picture of what he's sewing on. So this summer, he wanted to get him a little summer job uh, with a lady. The lady went out, paid him. You know, he cut the lady grass that keeps up her house. And she went out and bought all his school uniform for him. Hmm. You know, so he wouldn't have to do that. So Indian, cause you don't have time to get in trouble if you're an Indian because you want to make your Indian suit and you want to look pretty. So you got to sit down and do the work that you need to do. I- you know, uh, and, and it's, it's great that, uh, I mean, to be able to keep people on the straight path, but, um, you know, listen, we live in a, the military industrial complex is alive and well in the United States of America. Uh, you know, that's, he's, he is mainstreaming into uh, what, what our Western society is like. And, and I wanted to know about when you teach your t- tribal members and the peeps under you, how much can you talk about? The, 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 your philosophy as it relates to resistance, how much resistance is built into, because this is well, not... Well, first the, of all, as, as, as Indians, you can't have no resistance. Why? It's either you going to follow the rules, because the rules have already been laid out. You know, if this is nothing that I could come in and say, okay, well, I want to do this different, or I want to sing this different. This is just like saying the Our Father prayer. The Our Father is going to be the Our Father. You can't change it nowhere. You can say it slower, you might want to say it faster but it's still going to be the same words and the same meaning. So as, as what I'm saying is, as far as that, um, as Mardi Gras ended, there's no resistance nowhere in, into it. It's just, because being Mardi Gras Indian, you got already have that open mind that you want to do it. There's nothing that you just got to pop up and say, oh, I want to be an Indian, but you got to have that, that, that call to, to be one. Right. I, I don't know if, if maybe I didn't make my question clear. I'm just talking about resistance to Western oppression. Oh, oh. Well, as far as that, that's uh, like I, it's basically like the same thing. Like I'm saying, it just it you, you just can't have no resistance to it. All right. Well, I want to I want to play you uh, this uh, this clip here, and I want you to to. Listen to it, and then we'll come back and break it down. Okay. Drink shallow water, oh mama. Say nobody worry, nobody run. Shallow water, oh mama. Say I'm the big chief, gonna have my fun. 
Fell the water hole, mom. Tell my young time fella with old time ways. Water hole, mom. Say I'm the big chief on a holiday. Shall the water hole, mom. Some a wild man know you till the day I die. Shall the water hole, mom. Say I'm the big chief. Don't ask me why. Shall the water hole, mom. Sit around and around, make it up and down. Shall the water hole, mom. Say I'm the big chief. Gonna clown a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that person. <laughs> yeah, you know who that is. That's Bo Dallas Jr. And that's uh, Shallow Water. And uh, uh, I want I wanted you to uh, Shallow Water Omama. Uh, can you? Mm-hmm. These are all incredibly important stories. Uh, can you talk about uh, a story that that your that the Wild Magnolias sang when your dad when you were younger, and how it tied into the history of, of, of the people of New Orleans? Well, Shallow Water is, uh, is, a, is a meaning by itself. Shallow Water means troubled waters are, are, are here. Um, and mostly all the songs I sing is songs I grew up under. Shallow Water, Let's Go Get Them, In Jump They Come. My dad's favorite song was uh, Golden Crown. So it, it, it was all the songs, like I say, all the songs you can you can just change the lyrics or you can add to them but uh we i sung all these songs with him and i grew up with them and that just songs i just keep the tradition going by me be, being a young feather younger fellow i don't want this to die out I, I really want this to keep going and um keep keep the tr- tradition going and that's all i'm trying to do is just keep the tr- tradition going and keep it moving what is what is when you say trouble shallow water oh mama now that just mm-hmm. is it just it, it, that's just a a phrase for uh trouble or does it speak to a specific incident well like i said earlier uh like when the different languages like say the african was picking cotton and they were about to make a, a run for it sure. that was a chant they used to say in a chant that if they say shallow water they knew oh well the water is not too we got across this water but it's kind of rough. It's choppy right now. It might push us down or something like that. You know, that that's what shallow water means. You know, like different songs have different meanings. And a lot of people don't don't know what the meanings mean because that's the beauty of it, of Mardi Gras Indians. When we have these different languages and we can hold a whole conversation with each other and the outside person don't know what we're talking about. Right, but a lot of, so I, that's, I mean, that's, what I'm trying to say is that's exciting and it's and that's one reason I want to talk to you. But, mm-hmm. the, you know, how do you so when peeps come up to you and they say wow that was that was so danceable that was so energetic but i have no idea what you were saying and they're not necessarily they don't necessarily want to be young indians how do you well sometimes you can't sometimes you can't let them know what it means you know it's just uh, i can't i can't go out and just tell everybody what everything means because then there's not gonna be no secret to it no more yeah. So I just I'm I really just trying to get this. It's it's for you. This is a the, the important the, there's an importance to the tradition, but there's also an adherence to it being a secret society. And I'm wondering how you how you can keep that lineage and that history together if it's secret. Well, it, it's more ways you can keep it together. Uh, you just got to keep it more. You don't have to tell everybody everything. You know, like I said, it's just really the language that we try to keep amongst each other. You know, because a lot of people don't know what the language means. And if two Indians meet, the outside person is not going to know what it is. Now, if you come in and say that you want to be a Mardi Gras Indian or you want to be a part of it, of course we have to teach you what what the meaning is. You know, and you have to, you have to learn step by step whatever meaning is. Right. I want to read you this uh, passage from uh, Juan Pardo and then get your response to it. He said, uh, myself at the time, I was not a chief. I was a spy boy. Being caught in the middle of that and seeing the resistance of the tribes as they also acted in refusal of the situation. It's really pretty noisy back there, brother. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Basically, uh, Juan was talking about basically being with his dad. Uh, on a St. Joseph night, and the tribes were parading through the streets in New Orleans, 
and we had a very serious run-in with the police. They were very disruptive and very disrespectful to the cultural practices that we participate on St. Joseph's Night. To a degree, right. to, a de- to a degree where we were commanded that we, we clear from the street and get to the sidewalks. Some of the officers even ensued that they wanted us to remove our suits and headdresses that we were wearing. And at the time, mm-hmm. okay, at the time, Tootie Montana, Chief Tootie Montana, part of the Yellow Pocahontas, he said, hey, guys, do not go the distance on this. It's not worth it. And he wound up at City Hall, stood before the council, and addressed this issue with every bit of his being to the point that he actually he gave his life that day and, and passed in City Hall. Right. All right. And I want so what I'm talking about, I want you to go back to your dad or those that original those original Mardi Gras and when you saw when you had military militarized police trying to intimidate, actually remove your suits and how you how your dad dealt with it. I mean, he you did tell the story about the two cats that were fight, beating the crap out of each other and he broke up the fight, but I'm talking about truly in the heat of the moment, Saint, you know, uh, one of these important spiritual nights, and all of a sudden you had the police trying to remove garb, and how your dad wound up. I mean, you're, no one, no one got murdered. I mean, how your dad not only kept the peace, but also got it across that this was sacred stuff. Well, uh, I remember that year, like very frankly, uh, because that year my dad was real sick. Uh, and I didn't mask that year because we were trying to not let him mask. So we uh, really didn't mask that year, but we was out there uh, looking at all this. And as far as our Indians, all the Indians he knew, he kind of pushed them back and was like, you know, don't don't force them more to do what they were doing. You know, uh, don't don't give them the reason to want to put you in jail or to hit you whatever they had to hit, hit you with. Uh, so, yeah, he did enforce it, even with him being sick. And like I said, we were out there uh, dealing with it at the time, and he he enforced it like that. And so that's just the way he came about it. And, you know, he, he didn't get in between them, and he didn't get nobody and stuff like that. But the ones that had respect for him and that knew him, they listened to what he had to say. Can you talk a little bit about when he was healthy and maybe in the peak of his career, how he handled the 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 white law enforcement, frankly, you know, white culture, uh, and and how he dealt with it in a dignified but yet powerful manner? I'm just trying to get at this idea of in education. Like, it's really important to understand how to diffuse. Nobody wants violence. You're right. It's a we, we are a we glorify violence in our society now. And mm-hmm. so I, I'm just looking for ways that your dad through maybe music more than anything else was uh, how he led through music. Well, if you listen to it, like all the music, it was always about having fun and, and coming to party with the, with, you know, with the Indians. And that just was everything that he ever did it with. You know, uh, he really never, never sung about violence or, toting a gun or stabbing or nothing like that. Everything he did was always partying and having fun. And that's basically what all Mardi Gras Indians are supposed to be about is just having fun on Mardi Gras Day. Does it stretch out to other, uh, like St. Joseph's Night? What does that look like today? Oh, uh, St. Joseph's Night is, is basically like, well, St. Joseph's Night is my favorite time of the year. Why is uh, that? I, I, I like St. Well, just the suits look prettier and is at nighttime and Stuff like that, but I I like St. Joe Night better, and it's it's from when that happened is way better now. Let me ask you a question. When I mean, did, when was the first time you went on the road with the Wild Magnolias on a tour, on a musical tour? Oh, uh, I was twelve. No, I was eleven. I was only eleven, and my first trip was going to Japan. You went to Japan. Yeah, my oh, first, that is my first, awesome. my first road trip was going to Japan. You want to talk about that experience? I mean, first of all, like, I mean, I know the Japanese are crazy about like jazz. I hate labels and music, but I mean, what? I guess I mean I have the Wild Magnolias records, but I'm not sure if if the live shows were. I I kind of feel the live shows were completely different 
and maybe more stretched out. I just would love you to talk about. Yeah, the last show was way more. Uh, what's the word? Energetic. Yeah. I guess because we have maybe three Indians on stage. Uh, sometimes you didn't know which way my dad was going. Like, uh, what I mean by that, like, what song he might pop up with, or he might mix a song with another song. You know, our songs is not strictly Mardi Gras B songs. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's party songs, in other words. Okay, so so I'm, I'm trying to get at this idea of spontaneity, though. I mean, when, how much of it was vocals, and then if you could talk about the instrumentation in the band, was it like traditional trap set, drums, bass? What, what kind of instruments were in the band? Uh, we had a, a set drum, bass player, guitar player, a uh, piano player, and a percussionist. So basically, would you play like seamless music? The inti- would there be any breaks? Would you just go in, you know, four or five songs in a row, six songs, and just stretch? Uh, this depends on what the venue is. You know, sometimes if it's like a club, yeah, we'll take a break. But if it was just like a, a festival, no, we wouldn't take breaks. So it just depends on a certain situation. You know, sometimes it'd be a break, and sometimes it wouldn't be a break. What kind of instruments do you play? Well, I used to play saxophone, uh, but now I just do number sing. You, when you played sax, uh, when you uh, what what kind of music were you channeling? Was it was it uh, Coltrane stuff, or what were you getting off on? Uh, really, really, I was just learning because uh, my grandfather's had a Dijon with the Olympia Brass Band. Wow! So mostly, uh, I was doing second line music and stuff like that, trying to follow his steps. So I had like both sides in me. I got second line music plus I had Monaco Indian music in me. So I got a little bit of both sides. Let me ask you uh, about uh, in the States. I mean, did you guys, was there a Chitlin circuit? I mean, did you go on tour with what kind of, I I guess what I'm trying to say is what kind of, this to me is to to get this tour in Japan, fine, that's great. Maybe in Europe. But in the States, were you, did you guys go on the Chitlin circuit with your dad? I mean, what what were those gigs like? I mean, because I've talked to a lot of cats, you know, you go to, you know, juke joints, or you go to, you know, blues, or, you know, their jazz gigs, you know, these floorboards were coming up, um, you know, Joe Simon would go on the Chitlin circuit in the southeast, but did you, did your, like, especially when the records were coming out, Wild Magnolia's records, did they have, did you have an opportunity to go in, in the States, and did you encounter uh, a lot of um, cultural bias along the way? Um, yeah, we did a lot of stuff in the States. Uh I saw, I experienced a lot of things, uh, being as young, you know, at a young age, traveling and stuff like that. So, but uh, we went to different clubs and different juke joints, you might want to say, different festivals, and we just brought the New Orleans culture to them. You know, because sometimes we'll just do a, just a straight Indian song, or sometimes we'll do one of his his party songs or something like that. So. It wasn't just like we're just doing straight jazz or doing certain things. We were just really playing our music. Can you talk about some of the, I mean, were you run out of certain towns? I've talked to a ton of jazzers who, you know, they, their car broke down in the middle of Colorado and, and it was not a good vibe. And the next thing you know, you got a bunch of white cats running them out of town. I mean, can you talk about I never, uh, I never had that experience. Well, what, Never, kind, what, what, uh, yeah, what kind of, I mean, I'm just saying this was unique. You said you had a lot of experiences. If you could share one specifically, that would be great. Well, it was never, it was never about no running out of, out of no town, no. I never had that, uh, on, you know, everywhere we went, people enjoyed it and wanted us to come back or wanted us to see. So I never, I never experienced it had to be run out of town or nothing like that. But you saw quite a bit. I mean, could you talk about it? Yeah, I've seen everything. So, I mean, yeah, that, what I'm getting at is if you could, I mean, because you're speaking in, in kind of in a very surface way. I mean, if you could go and talk about a specific example of what you actually Well, there's nothing really too much deeper to say. You know, it, everywhere is different. Uh, I can't really give you details for each city I've been to. No, I, I'm just saying, just... What, I, what I'm saying is like, for instance, let me give you an example. Paul Boudreaux said when he went with Joe Simon in southern Alabama, they stopped off at a truck stop because they were hungry, Okay. And they and and they and the people in the truck stop in the diner wouldn't serve them because they were black. And then these white- I never experienced that. That's what I'm trying to tell you. I never experienced that. And I've been I've been to Colorado. I've been to little hick towns. 
and I never got we well I'm gonna say I we never got ran out of nowhere. Okay, but I mean, so I don't. No, what I guess what I was trying to finish the story was that is that these white truckers came in, and they said to the people at the counter, they said, "We've seen these cats tour, driving up and down the same roads we are because they were playing the Chitlin circuit," and they said, "If you don't serve these cats, then you know what." We're going to get on our radios and let everybody else know not to come to this diner ever again. So I really want you to talk a little bit about some of the blow, some of the some of the way that the camaraderie and the healing that you experienced that was inspiring. Maybe you didn't experience it firsthand, but everybody has gone through the southeast of the United States or anywhere in this country. And so I just would like you to talk a little bit about some of that real life experience that you witnessed firsthand that made you stronger and made you made you a better leader. Um. Well, I must, like I said, I'm gonna say it again. I never really experienced nothing like that. That uh, never wanted to be served or somebody just tried to come help us or something like that. Because I guess we never really put ourselves in that predicament. Uh, as far as my dad, because he he was very strict on certain things he would do and certain things he wouldn't do. So I'm not going to, like, I can't sit up and give you an example of nothing because I never, we never went through nothing like that. Oh, no, this is important, though. So what, what was the stuff he believed in very much that he would do, and what was the stuff that he would not do? Well, all of the, the arguments and fussing and fighting, he, he wasn't no fighting person. Uh, but if, if it came down to it, yeah, he would do it, but he's not going to enforce it. He's not going to be the one to be like, oh, we're going to fight this one because they wouldn't give us this or they wouldn't give us that. If they felt as though they couldn't give us something or like that, he, he just was probably just left it alone and leave. Let's go to the next stop. Uh-huh. You know, and that's just the way he was. And that's the way I am now. You know, I'm not going to, if something is not right and you don't feel like serving us or you don't feel like doing certain things, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just going to keep going. Cause, uh, especially if I'm paying for something, you know, cause my money's going to spend anywhere. So I'm not going to sit up there and, and fuss back and forth with you. What was the idea behind the, uh, I mean, because there were obviously leaders of, of your dad's generation that did believe in fighting and standing up for that. I mean, how has that, um, I mean, so you, you as being a, a tribal leader now, you've experienced situations where it's not been a good vibe or you haven't been served. Right, and I just keep, I keep on pushing. You know, I don't, I don't really have the time for to keep going back and forth and wanting to fuss and argue. I just keep going, and I go on whatever else we have to do. Right, but how do you? How does that? Can you talk about how you how that inspires the the younger Indians under you, the nonviolent sort of? I'm well, they're just gonna see that you don't you don't always have to fight for everything. You know, everything is it, you know once you fight for it, then you, it's gonna lead to something else, then it's gonna lead to something else. And that just that's what younger children or people that mess with me. That's just the thing. Sometimes you just don't have to. You got to pick your fights. And everything is it don't have to be a fight. Is that part of? Can you talk a little bit about this uh, this 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 uh, event you have coming up, or that you were talking about? Is it related to uh, nonviolence? And and if there are songs that relate, or that you've written, or 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 that are historical songs about the kind of philosophy that you you're just talking about right now? Um, only one song really come to hear is it's called "Smoke My Peace Pipe." I love that uh, tune. Man. That's really, yeah, that's really what that song is about is, you know, stop all the fighting and, you know, let's have peace out here. How violent is it, man? I mean, I mean, is it, is it one of those things where, um, I mean, do you feel like, is there momentum on your side or do you feel like it's gotten to a point where, um, I mean, wh- I guess what I'm trying to get at is that, you know, I've talked to a ton of of cats that I mean I'm 39 years old and so you know now you get you get cats that are you get police police that are killing people with on film on in footage in the real time and they'll get fired but justice is not served and so Mm -hmm. now and 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 you, you see and you know that in New Orleans so I mean are you going into how deep does it go and do you feel like there is momentum as it relates to nonviolent resistance or has it reached a point now where you're i mean have we reached just a critical mass i just i'm trying to get an idea of of the pulse of it you know from your point of view um 
you know, it, it takes a lot. It ain't gonna just take one person to do to do everything. It's gonna take a good minute for stuff to change. You know, and it ain't gonna take one person. It's gonna take a village. Uh, so it, it, it's to the point now. You know, and I'm, I'm speaking as far as Indians as as violence wise. You know, we is it is slacked up tremendously. You know, you might have a few words being passed here and there, but as far as somebody going to the hospital and getting uh, stabbed and stuff like that, yeah, it has changed tremendously. It's tr- it's changed in a more peaceful way, is what you're saying. Right. Exactly. Right. How do you interact with? Uh, just uh, street gangs there. How, how do how do you guys? What kind of what kind of relationship do you have? Wait, street gangs as Indians or street gangs as gangs? Gangs. Uh, be honest with you. We really in New Orleans. We really don't have too many gangs. You don't have the gang thing down here. We don't. We don't. You know. We don't have too many gangs down here. Then they may have the neighborhoods and the wards and stuff like that. People stay in different wards. But as far as like gangs, like as blood and stuff like that, no, we don't have that. Right. Are, so, but there, you have no interaction with with any gangs at all. I'm just curious about no, how, no, and 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 how would you? You know, it's funny. I mean, the, the the culture is still so beautifully protected in New Orleans. Do you get a chance to go to urban centers in other parts of the country? And and is there? I'm not saying anything close to the Mardi Gras Indians, but. We have like epidemics now in in other parts of the country with gangs killing, just mm-hmm. you know, slaughtering other people, and I just wonder if that's something that if you feel like it's just your energy and your your most the most amount of your energy can be done locally, or do you have do you have words of advice for community leaders that are dealing with gang violence at a level? much greater than anything in New Orleans and, and what you would say to those peeps? Uh, as far as, you know, gang-wise, like I said, we don't have that down here, so it's kind of hard to speak on that. But uh, in in other cities, you know, you just got to take it one day at a time and, and, and push the issue, you know, because like just with India, they have to push the issue with the violence. So that's with anything, but in New Orleans we just have a street crime problem. So that's that's the thing I'm working on is just trying to get this crime down because it's it's getting to a point now that it no it doesn't matter who is who it is. It could be a child, it could be an older person or a group of people. So now we're just trying to trying to slow that down and get that better than what it, what it is. Do you feel like the crime is related to desperation, poverty? I mean, you just mentioned you don't have the the gang problems. Where I mean, is it also just like people getting picked up for really petty stuff that when you're dead? Well, well, down here, you know, it could be poverty uh, as far as that goes because everything in New Orleans is starting to get a little bit higher that people can afford. Yep. Uh, And sometimes it could just be the force of people not – not growing up right you know they're just in the wrong atmosphere and they think that's the right thing they're doing and they're not knowing no better do you this you brought up the gentrification of uh new orleans post katrina um uh, can you talk about the on i mean i see there's a lot of youtube clips at festivals of you leading the chants and, and singing uh on Bourbon Street, is there a gig for the for the Wild Magnolias and Bo Dallas Jr.? Where are you going to actually express yourself and get stuff out of well, your no, system? Well, no, I don't. I don't do the. Uh, I don't do the Bourbon Street thing because that's mostly. Uh, that's mostly. Um, yeah, it's called tourists. Right, it's, it's the tourist section, and it, it's just not the type of place we'll go because they play for some long hours out there. Uh, I mean, cause that's like a regular job that they play for. So, uh, but no, we, we don't do the Burger Street thing, but normally we'll do Tipitina, House of Blues, Holland Wolf, Maple Leaf, and different venues like that. But we don't do the the the, um, the Burger Street thing because that's just not a, a tradition for the Wild Magnolias. Would your da- but I mean back in the late '60s, early '70s, would your dad, would the Wild Magnolias be playing Bourbon Street? Because it was not like no, that. no, never. No, we never. They never did a Bourbon Street thing. No. 
So where, like, I've never been to New Orleans, so Tipitina's and those places are located in where, in, in the French Quarter? So where are they at? Uh, Tipitina's in the uptown area. Uh, Maple Leaf is, like, in mid-city. So all of them is in, like, different areas. And then there's a street called, uh, is it Frenchman's Quarter? Uh, now, Frenchman, you know, while Magnolia's do play on Frenchman at a club called uh, DBA and Blue Nile. So that that's a good little strip for that for that area. And you are absolute. What you are the leader of of the Wild Magnolias, is that right? Yeah, the Mardi Gras band and the Mardi Gras Indians. I just want you to talk about the in your mind. What are the most essential qualities of leadership in the 21st century on the bandstand? Not trying to create peace or you know uh what we've been talking about well the best thing i just i just try to make everybody have fun same my same thing my dad had trying to make people have fun i just try to make everybody have fun and keep the the music different could you, you give, know, could, you give I, could you give some exa- specific examples of how you get people out of their normal mindset and, ha- and get them into a, a a jovial state well uh some, if they know, don't know the song i might mix a song that they do know with the song right um for instance, like I do uh, smoke my peace pipe, but I add Papa was a Rolling Stone with it. You know, and everybody knows Papa was a Rolling Stone. So uh, they hear that, then they, they, they're on the floor, you know, and they're already singing along because I have a little part when I break it down and I, I let them sing it, you know. And it just it just interacted with the crowd, and that's what I was brought up around. The uh, We're all still growing. We're all still learning. Uh who are the elders that you go to when you are struggling with it philosophically, when you are a little bit lost, when you are searching for some kind of uh, a different bag? Who are, what are the kinds of things that you're going to seek information? Who are you going to seek information from? And what are you still learning for, uh, about yourself and your, your culture and your people? Well, now it, it, it's just learning about everything now. Uh, you know, every day you learn something new. Uh, and they still have a few of them left, Mon Boudreau, uh, Walter Cook. Uh, so you got a good handful that's left. It ain't too many of them because, you know, they all getting older and stuff like that. So right now you just try to get as much knowledge as you can because one day I'm going to be the elder, you know, and they're going to have people looking up to me because they call him, calling me an elder already and I'm not even that old yet. But yeah, By uh, the way, how, what, how old are you, brother? 36. Oh, so you're young, younger than, you're three years younger than, you're like a Gen Xer, man. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> and they're calling you an so, elder. That's a very. Yeah, because yeah. I, I guess because I've been doing it since I was nine and I've been out here yeah. and I've, you know, I've, I've been out here a long time and I've made the suits, I've made the years. So right now it's just to the point of, um, they, they, I guess they look it up to me as an elder. You know, there's a few of us that's second generations or, first generation that has been out here for a long time and you have a uh you, how many about 15 or 16 young indians under you how, uh, can you talk a little yeah bit? i got like 16 indians under me yeah and what's the name of your tribe wild magnolias the, Ma- the wild magnolias would you uh and can you just talk to the audience about what kind of gigs or i i hate to say professional gigs i mean these are more like spiritual experiences but what what are you what do you have coming up that you would like to talk about as far as performance-wise? Are you doing anything outside of New Orleans? Well, right now, all I'm working on now is a Wild Magnolia reunion show. Is with the old, uh, the old Wild Magnolia band. Who are we doing a reunion show at Tip- that, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, we're doing a show at Tipitina's uh, coming up pretty soon. How many of the Wild Magnolias cat, the original band, is still around? The original, uh. Well, they only have like two Indians that's from the original Wyoming movie that's still living. And I think like probably the, the band-wise, maybe one or two. A guy named Uganda used to play percussion and a guy named George French that plays bass. And now everybody else, uh, you know, has passed away during times. Uganda, that, what's his, uh, West? What's he played percussion. Yeah, what's his, what's his, what, his American name though? I, I think I know that cat. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. You know, that's what I know him by. So that's the only thing I was brought up on. So you're gonna, you want to do a, a your your band, 
mixed with the ori- some of the original cat from the original Magnolias and bring it right, together. It, right, and right, right. Has there been a date for that or a venue? Is that all set in stone? Uh, that Temple Teen is on September 7th. September 9th, I'm sorry. Wow. Unbelievable. And then, and then uh, how much do you get out, how much of an opportunity do you get to play outside of the state of, of Louisiana? Oh, it happens pretty a lot. It happens a lot. And, you know, uh, like I said, right now I'm just working on that. And then pretty soon I'll be doing a little tour thing. It'd be great to have you uh, come to Tucson where I'm based uh, and, uh, and, 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 you know, have, have the chance for, uh, for peeps to be inspired by you, man. It would be, uh, I mean, you've been doing this since you were nine years old. And uh, right. um, I just want you to talk before we wrap up here, we've been cooking for about 50 minutes and I, I really appreciate it, but I just wanted you to talk about, uh, how much the spirit or when you began to just trust in the spirit and, uh, and follow your heart. And if there was a defining moment, because listen, I mean, there's no doubt Bo Dallas Jr. Even though your dad was a great role model, there probably were opportunity crossroads where you could have gone down the wrong path. Oh, I tell people that a lot. Uh, just you know, sometimes, like I say, sometimes with financial reasons, you you would think you won't go down the wrong the wrong road. Just to go in, you know, you come up on the money and you know get some easy money and stuff like that. Uh, but dealing with Indian and dealing with your name and you know, and people look at you a certain way, I always try to keep it that way. You know, I want people to look at me like as a positive way. You know, and, you know, and sometimes maybe grown people, sometimes maybe kids. You know, I don't want no, you know, kids have enough stuff to go off saying, oh, well, this is the right thing, knowing it's the wrong thing. You know, I could go get money like this, or I go get money like that, instead of just going out, getting me a job, and working hard for it. Or uh, following your dreams, if you want, want, want to be a singer, or you want to be an actor, or whatever you want to be, you know, just go by that, instead of going out here and trying to get it the wrong way. Um, so, yeah, it, it was many times I could have went the opposite way. Could you but talk about? Could did. you talk about one time where you did you dis, you trusted your or you actually maybe started on that wrong path and then got yanked back? Well, I never really. I, I'm gonna say I really never started. Uh, like I said, the place on Second Drive, we used to always my, my dad used to hang and uh, that's where we started at on Mardi Gras and stuff like that. Uh, I've seen people dealing drugs. I've seen people, you know, get served with drugs and shoot up and stuff like that, but. And one time when I did think about, oh, I could do this and stuff like that, I saw a guy really get shot, like, right in front of my face. Hmm. And I knew him. And so that kind of shifted me the right way, like, no, I'm not about to do this. Uh-uh, that, that's okay. You know, so, uh, and that, that, that's just the way that was. Just, uh, what is your, tell me your concept of love and how you bring love to this world. Uh, I guess I bring love to the world just through my music, you know, uh, wherever I go, I don't care if I'm, I'm performing for one person or a thousand people, I'm a, I'm a bring the best show I can and I'm going to bring love to it every time I, I, I get on that stage. Well, Bo, Bo Dallas Jr. It's such a high honor to talk to you, man. You, you, uh, you know, I, I'm on a sacred mission and, and really I'd love to connect with some of the the oldest cats from the Magnolias to promote this show and talk to them more about the music more than anything else. But I just think it's extremely important. It's a fine line between trying to get this information out and how much of it you want it to actually remain a secret. And that's a, that's a, that's a balancing act. But when you see, when you see, you know, human beings getting killed in front of you, it's, it's an eye opening experience. And I, I sure am happy that you went, on the right path and i it was great to great to hang with you man oh thank you so much all right so if there are peeps out there uh you know uh you know let me know where they are so i can i can talk to them and, and get this stuff out i sure will all right now take care brother all right thank you later bo dallas jr heavy cat uh just uh, extrapolated for a while on uh, his life and upbringing and uh, he's still doing his thing down in New Orleans, part of the Wild Magnolias tribe. They'll be performing at Tipitina's on uh, September 7th of this year. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, Claiborne Carson is the head of the Dr. Martin Luther King Center at Stanford University. Until then, 
We'll see you. See you in a bit.